Hello again, my friends, and welcome to My Back 40. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. I hope you had a great week last week. Um, I hope you enjoyed the podcast I put out there with Jenny Tuff. Um, I, I dug it, and I did uh, get some some a little bit of feedback uh, just in regards to um, Jenny's response to her identifying um, with her place of birth, which which happened to be uh, Calgary, Alberta. And um, it wasn't meant, it wasn't in there, it wasn't meant to offend anyone. I think um, I don't identify with the place I grew up. I grew up in Ontario and um, didn't really realize I, I was out of my out of my zone until I went on a snowboard camp in Whistler and I realized that, man, I I belong in the mountains. Maybe we all do. I have no idea, but I know that I'm not a city boy. Um, I I feel like now that I've been out here for, for most of my adult life, um, I'm a mountain man. That's kind of where I belong. I belong in the mountains and I love it out here. So it wasn't, it wasn't kept in there to, uh, to offend anyone. And, uh, I sincerely hope, uh, I'm being sincere about that. I want you guys to know that. And, uh, I have a shit ton of friends in Alberta and I love all you guys. So it wasn't meant to offend anyone. If it did, I'm really sorry about that. But along those lines, um, I did put a, <clears throat> a podcast out just, a, a well, it would be, a, I guess a couple days ago now when this gets published, but it was just in, in regards to, um, people traveling during this time and uh, leaving the big city and coming to mountain towns. And uh, it's just a bad idea. And uh, we, we love you guys here in, in Invermere. You have a, a, a big impact on the economy here. And uh, it's clear that, you know, um, Invermere basically operates and stays afloat on tourism. <clears throat> so there's definitely, you know, you're welcome here, but this is a pandemic situation and, and people should be staying at home. And, uh, you know, I, I just felt so compelled to, to, to put out a little, um, a little statement that I put out a couple of days ago and read that letter, which was pretty crazy. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, go back and you can hear me, um, basically read the letter that was, uh, it was published online first and then it made it into our local paper and someone thought it appropriate to flag that letter as hate speech and that's kind of the world we're living in now and it's 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 fucking crazy to me I, I just don't understand if that's hate speech then what is true hate speech like if if that's where we're going to set the bar for hate speech then we're going to really make it difficult for anyone to communicate to one another moving into the future so that is a whole podcast in and of itself and i think it's uh, crazy excuse me. Um, but yeah, you know, this morning I'm still thinking about it and you know, it's uh, yesterday was Friday, uh, Friday, it's Saturday morning right now. And I was walking home from work and you know, I walk into my local grocery store to pick up some, some dairy, the regular dairy run for the kids. And, um, the shelves are fucking empty. There's just not a lot of food. And, uh, you know, people are, are not, I wouldn't say they're hoarding food, but you know, people are being prepared. And, uh, I don't know what the, the population is of Invermere. I can't imagine it's it's much more than 4,000 people. But if you add 400 people that come from elsewhere to stay in their weekend homes, that puts a strain on services in Invermere, um, food supply, uh, medical services, etc. And in terms of the food supply thing, it's like we're kind of in the middle of nowhere here. Um, you know, we're lucky we're even getting trucks coming here to deliver food at this point. And, uh, and we're lucky that trade is still open between the border. 
um, between the U.S. Canada border, and um, I just think it just puts an unnecessary strain. And also, you know, I'm just I'm having a hard time finding the numbers, but in Alberta, uh, I found a I kind of I googled COVID in Calgary, and I got the number 49. I don't know if that's Alberta wide or if that's just in the city, but let's just use that number: 49 cases as of 16 hours ago, uh, up until yesterday, Invermere had one case. So proportionally, why does it make sense? Why would we be stoked to have people coming from maybe a hotbed, if you consider it a hotbed of outbreak, to our small mountain town, which basically in, until yesterday had one confirmed case? Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you do that? Why would you come here and, and, uh, and, and, and in these times to do that? I know the biking is awesome here and I know it's beautiful to be in the mountains, but, uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to even go to, uh, like I'm going to just go to the grocery store if I need to. That's the only place I'm going to go. Otherwise you're going to see me in the woods. I'm not going to drive to any other town and uh, hang out there. And uh, it's risky and just stay home. Please just stay home. I think that's the right thing to do at this point. Stay home with your family and, uh, and let's just uh, let's just get through this, all right? That's all I really wanted to say about that. And I know I kind of pontificated a couple of days ago on that other podcast, and I'm not going to go on about that. So uh, I'm really stoked that you guys are back. Hopefully, I didn't lose too many subscribers after that podcast I put out. Again, it's, it wasn't meant to offend, but uh, I think it's just uh, something that had to be said. So uh, thanks for listening, and uh, let's let's move forward. Let's keep moving forward. Oh, man, I'm just going to have a sip of coffee here. Hang on. Oh, that's good coffee. Um, so what else do I have to say? Not too much. Um, you know, I was riding my bike the other day and man, my knees hurt all the time. I got to talk to someone about that. I don't know if it's my inflexibility or maybe it's, maybe it's that my bike doesn't fit very well. You ever get those pains in your knees and your patellas? I think it might be my quads are too tight or I just have some imbalance, but, um, I probably need a bike fit and you know, Cycling 101 does bike fits and they can actually do them remotely as well. And what a great time to do it. If you're sitting at home, uh, maybe you're riding on your trainer anyway, and you're thinking, I wonder if my bike is set up correctly for my body. Well, you can find out. You could reach out to Cycling 101, send them your videos for analysis and uh, basically get a, a, a bike fit done remotely. And if you drop the promo code 101VIP20, they're going to give you 20% off that bike fit. Or if you need just a consultation, if you're training up for some of the summer races, and I'm going to have some of the organizers of the, the BC races um, on soon to talk about kind of what's going on. I don't imagine uh, it's a few months away. It's kind of hard to say at this point what's going to happen, but I'm hoping those races keep going. But uh, I digress. If, if you... Um, if you uh, if you're training up and you need a consultation, you want to maybe know about nutrition, or maybe you want to kind of run some some training programs, or uh, you know get some consultation on a training program. You can reach out to Cycling 101 as well, and they'll help you out. And you can use that same promo code 101 VIP20. So let's do this. On today's podcast, I have Mark Sinclair from Dundas, Ontario. Mark and I are going to talk about the bikepacking scene in Ontario. Uh, Mark is a an events organizer. He's organized uh, the Cannonball 300 as well as the Hurt and Halliburton. 
He's also uh, participated in the Ice Road Challenge up in Northern Ontario, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So just another great conversation with another great guy from Ontario who digs cycling and digs bikepacking, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And uh, without further delay, I bring you Mark Sinclair. Hey, Mark. Good morning. How's it going? Good yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. Sorry about the time mix up there. No problem. I usually think about it. Yeah, I forgot about it as well. So uh, (laughs) that's so funny. And I was like, am I going to message him? Because he's probably well asleep at 5 (laughs) a.m. Get up, buddy. We got to do a podcast. Oh, that's funny. I'm just going to get some levels adjusted here. Sure. So, what's going on in uh, back east today? Uh, Not too much. I uh, got a couple guys that want to go on a ride after this. So, I think I'll probably do that and then uh, convert my uh, Trek stash back to single speed. So, oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No snow down there? Uh, not up here. I mean, I. Dundas is in the bottom of a, a valley, so there's not much snow. But if you go up the escarpment, there's, I don't know, maybe a couple inches or something like that. That's but, it, hey? Yeah, no, not much. I'm sure you have plenty. Uh, you know what? Invermere doesn't really, we don't really get a lot of snow here. <clears throat> We're kind of in this weird weather donut. So all around us, like Revelstoke, Kimberly, you know, Cranbrook, uh, we'll get just dumped on and then we'll, we won't get anything. It's been a great fat biking year, actually, because it's been kind oh, of really? freeze thaw, freeze thaw. So, you know, uh, we've got a groomer. The club has a a, oh, nice. a snow dog groomer. So they groom a lot around here and then, you know, it'll, it'll warm up and then freeze. And like, it's, they're like sidewalks through the woods. It's crazy. Hmm. It's super fun. Yeah. You almost don't need a bad bike when uh, the trails are groomed so nicely. Yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, it's more fun. Let's <laughs> oh, work as well. Yeah. No, dude, it's more work. Pedaling a fat bike around is hard work. You, you can't, there's, uh, there's no coasting on a fat bike. You're always on the gas. Right. <laughs> And I don't know, maybe it's the same everywhere, but um, a lot of the guys who do the grooming too, they really want the fat bikes to ride. If anyone with skinny tires goes in there, they ruin all the packed down snow, right? So Yeah, we were, um, was it last winter? Uh, I was invited out to Canmore to a fat biking summit. It was, um, uh, I think it was Bob Showquist from QBP was there. And he was just talking about like, um, just talking about basically, um, proposed rules around places that groom you know Mm -hmm. so similar to a ski hill you'd have these rules and you'd have a sign kind of at the trailhead saying you know four inches or 3.8 inch tires and up uh you know this pressure uh don't ride it when it's soft you know some rules around it but the the problem we have is that you know jordy will go out and and do do a groom and then um people walk all over it put post holes uh, post holes yeah. into it but it's a shared yeah. it's a shared infrastructure so it's like you know no complaints yeah, but sure yeah. yeah yeah so um kyle messier said he wanted to wanted me to talk to you so i reached out as soon as he messaged me and said hey you got to talk to to mark about what's going on so here we are yeah yeah he's been uh um uh, we've been messaging back and forth about a few things so cool. um i think he's definitely excited about what i'm doing and i'm excited about what he's doing and I know we've been trying to, you and I have been trying to have a podcast for a while and he was just that little 
ignition that started the fire. So, well, I apologize because I know we we chatted last winter about getting together before the before the cannonball, right? And mm-hmm. uh, between podcasts I was doing and then you know racing and dadding and all that stuff, I, I dropped the ball. So I apologize. But uh, oh, it's definitely on, on both our ends. I mean, I I um, planning for the cannonball, but also uh, I broke my hand last year, so my riding right. was like gone. So I uh, I definitely wasn't in in the middle of it like you were so what happened how'd you break your hand uh just like i was um riding a we have a a marathon uh race series here and i was just riding that single speed on my stash and just took a berm and the berm washed out and i put my hand down Mm. but it's like a crash that i've probably done i don't know 10 15 times or something like that and i guess this was a weird one and i thought i just like sprained it or something and finished the race and I, I went up to Halliburton for a day and ride, rode my gravel bike there. And <laughs> <laughs> ah, just shaking it out. Oh, what's the deal? Oh, what's like, going uh, on? The swelling, it, it's kind of going away. Like I kept like, I drew a circle on it to see if the swelling was going down. Yeah. But, oh, that's funny. So did you, you broke your hand or you broke your thumb? I remember you telling me about I broke, that. I broke my thumb, yeah. Yeah. How long did that you take really, to? You don't realize how many things you need your thumb for. So. <laughs> I broke my Especially wrist. gripping handlebar. Yeah. Just like this, kind of like hold on like that. Yeah, that's right. Years ago, I broke my uh, I broke my wrist skateboarding when I was I, I grew up in Deep River, Ontario, so I used to skate there and all the chundery pavement. And uh, I fell and and I broke my wrist. Well, at the time I didn't know it at the time, but I kept skating and I kept shaking it. I was like, ah, oh, damn, man, that really hurts. <laughs> and then I next day woke up and it was pretty bad, so I skated to the hospital. And they put me in a cast, but I broke like just on the base of your thumb. There's like a little scaphoid, I think it's called, a little tiny bone. It took like three months to heal. So to this day, I still tie my shoelaces chopstick style on my left hand. Like I'll, you know, this is normal. And then this finger's all chopsticks. It's so funny. I was lucky because I I had a small split on it. So I was able to use my thumb to grab stuff. Because if you couldn't do this, then man, you're you're, uh, in trouble. Yeah, I couldn't imagine if it was my right hand. Like imagine breaking your right hand, like. You'd be able to do it, or I don't know if you're right-handed yeah. or not. But so, uh, so tell me what's going on out there. Tell me, uh, fill me in on the scene in Ontario. Tell me about the Cannonball because that's the originally uh, that's originally what we were going to talk about. So, what's the story behind sure. that? Um, yeah, that the Cannonball. Um, I really, I've been really following the bikepacking scene in, in Ontario. Before the Cannonball, there really wasn't much for bikepacking, um, like established routes or promoted routes. I mean, up by Kingston, there's infinite gravel roads, and I'm sure people have um, their own routes. But there was nothing like on Bikepack Canada or Bikepacking.com um, that I could follow. So I I found that this route I was using for training, which is just really connecting a series of established rail trails and bike routes. Um, I just kind of patched them together to make the Cannonball 300. I thought, oh, this is neat. Uh, you can make a website for next to no money, and uh, we'll see who shows up for it. So, yeah, we'll continue. So, um, you did you just throw it out there on Facebook, and then uh, yeah. is that how you kind of advertised it? Uh, I had this. I wanted it to go really organically, and I didn't really want to put a face to the to the name of Cannonball, um, and I. I'm still not super excited about promoting myself as the official or unofficial organizer of this uh, this ride because I just I want it to grow organically. I want people to ride it and 
and you know try and build it the way they want it um you know there's some liability involved and i think if you uh, if you really promote it and and try to um you know grow in a way i i, I really question how how that can uh, can come back on me so i'd like to try and you know let it grow organically i mean this year i made a facebook event just to um uh, reach a wider audience but I found people uh, from all over Ontario showed up on uh, on Grand Apart Day who heard of it from a buddy who heard of it from a buddy, and I think that's more exciting than uh, totally. you know people hearing about it on a Facebook uh, ad advertisement or something if you were to go that route. So, yeah. um, is there is there any um, is there any stock in that? Like, you're not the first person organizer I've talked to to say, you know, I'm just a bit you know tentative about being too involved. Are there stories out there of people getting in trouble for putting these events on? Um, I'm not too sure. And I don't really want to be the first either. Um, I think that'd be a great person interview for your podcast, just um, on, on that side of things. If there is someone who's, I don't know if it's more a lawyer or, or an insurance side of things. And if these things are even insurable, um, these, these kind of unofficial events, I mean, the, um, the, you know, the, Colorado Trail Race or the uh, Great Divide and Mountain Bike Race, uh, like those have existed for quite some time. Um, and I, I haven't heard of any sort of issues like that. So I think we've been lucky that the people who participate in these kind of things know what they're getting themselves into and they understand the, the liability involved. But, um, you know, I just, I, I think there's not necessarily a need and I don't think it fits the culture to really promote these events really hard. Mm. I think that they should grow organically and, you know, as people uh, find about them, they're, they're going to share them. Uh, this is a community. Uh, Bikepacking is a very tight knit community, and uh, people love, absolutely love to share their stories. So yeah. um, I think it, it will grow that way. Yeah, there's no, there's no denying that. There's, I think there's enough people out there that that can keep the things going. I wonder if money is kind of that, because I was thinking about that with the Silk Road and and the the Atlas that's going on right. I think it started, yeah, it started today. <clears throat> um. Because they're expensive races to get into, and it seems like there's a lot of uh, support around them. And I often mm-hmm. wonder if, if by charging people money, if you're exposing yourself even more to that. You have to talk. I, I thought about reaching out to those guys to see if they wanted to chat about the logistics of setting up an event like that. I, I would listen to it. I'm yeah. Really excited yeah. To know. I mean, for some other events I've put on, um, it's easier because I'm charging money, but also. Uh, in that regard, but also the framework of the events are a lot more defined. Like mm. How do you define a bikepacking race to, for example, a dude is going to give you an insurance quote because they're going to ask you, how long is your event? Right. I don't know how long. <laughs> like, yeah. It could take four days. It could take like the guy who uh, finished a grand apart he did in 15 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. Or, sorry, uh, 15 hours and 30 minutes. So, it, uh, you know, how do you... Um, you know, find the duration of, of that kind of event. So yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to d- uh, dive a little bit deeper into that some other time. So how many people showed up for that for your cannonball? Uh, well, I mean, again, maybe this is um, the lack of my promoting for the event, but um, <laughs> 18 people showed up and I was That's actually great. really happy with that number. Um, you know, I grand apart day came and uh, you know, one guy showed up with the car and started loading bikes and started talking to me and I so excited. Like, oh, someone showed up for this thing. <laughs> awesome. And then uh, another dude showed up and a guy with a, a 
a, a sweet van with all these bikes on top showed up and another guy showed up and I was like, oh, this, this is going to be a thing. This is exciting. That's awesome. And um, so the route, tell, can you tell us a bit about the route? Yeah, the Grand Park starts in uh, Dundas. We have a driving park there. Um, it's just a simple park, but uh, we have uh, a bike shop right on the corner, Freewheel. Uh, we have a coffee shop. We have a brewery. So it seemed like a really neat spot for, uh, you know, as this event grows, uh, if we want to have a, a pre-party or a get-together before or something, there's lots of options. If people want to, when they finish the, the ride and the end in the Grand Park, there's lots of opportunity for them to stay in Dundas and do really neat things. So it made sense, and it's just right off of the rail trail, the hamilton Brantford Rail Trail, which is what the course takes uh, for a good portion. So that's where it starts, and you take that to Brantford. Uh, you scoot through Brantford. Uh, the, rail, the rail trail has a signed path all the way through Brantford. Uh, Brantford. Uh, there's quite a bit of construction uh, last year, so that got uh, people confused. And then also, funny story, the, the route, um, I don't know if it was intentionally or unintentionally, but there was a very, very short section of trail, maybe like 20 meters, that um, the GPS took people on that was parallel to the path that I had picked. But it was like some cobbly path that goes right along the river with stinging nettle, like to waist height. And <laughs> I'm riding along and I, I'm checking my phone and I go, some guy is saying, oh man, like just got sent, sent through this like waist deep section of stinging nettle. Like, what are you talking about? Dude, that's not there on the route. But yeah, I guess like the, I don't know, like a node that got dragged or something when I was making the ride on ride GPS that, Send people through this, this stinging metal. So yeah, that was uh, interesting. Did but. you get Did you get sued? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was in the late enough of the year. Apparently, it was dead. So I don't think anyone got um, got any any issues from that. But, oh man. Yeah. Um, so then uh, from Brantford down to uh, uh, Simcoe um, is the TH and uh, it's called the TH and B. Uh, rail trail um, that goes all the way down to Brantford and then from, or sorry, to Simcoe. And then from Simcoe, there's uh, another rail trail that takes you to Dover, which is beautiful. It's got a lot of old um, railroad bridges and everything that you can take. Uh, and so all this is not on a road. So you've ridden at this point uh, about 100K without, without touching a road. Oh, that's awesome. I'm just looking at the map, uh, not yeah. not the route, but the map. Uh, of Ontario, just getting up, getting those cities. So you can, you can ride all that way. Cause it looks like it's pretty congested, not congested, but it's pretty, is it pretty dense? Uh, densely populated in that part of Ontario? Um, yeah. So Hamilton is definitely Obviously, a yeah. huge, huge city. Brantford's fairly large. And then as you keep going south, it gets smaller, but these are definitely large cities where, mm. uh, you know, I've listed a few resources on on Riley GPS maps, like the breweries and the wineries, the important things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, there's tons of gas stations and restaurants and whatever else. Like, I mean, I, I didn't mention, but this route, uh, some purists may say it's not really a bikepacking route, but I built it as an introductory bikepacking route. So for people that you know have just purchased gear or are thinking of purchasing gear or are thinking of getting into bike packing this is something they can try and realize i like multi-day riding adventures um you know i'm going to make an investment i'm going to buy gear and I'm, so i'm going to go do the bt 700 after this mm -hmm. right like this is like a stepping stone so um you know a lot of it's rail trail some of it's road 
Um, there's nothing that's super remote on this road. So, yeah, so from Dover, you take um, uh, a road section. It's called uh, the Waterfront Trail. Um, it's just a road section, but it goes and meanders right along the waterfront, Lake Erie here. And uh, it uh, kind of goes all through all these cottages. And the, the road itself is only like a car and a half wide. And so no one really takes it. And this is just beautiful ride. And if anything, it's kind of refreshing because you've just pounded out like 100 kilometers of rail trail. And so all of a sudden you kind of pick up some speed, which is nice. And you go by, uh, well, what used to be old coal generate, generating plants. So that was a really neat thing to see on my route. But uh, really funny, uh, a day before the Grand Depart last year, they actually uh, demolished it with a bunch of uh, explosives. <laughs> so. So that's not on my road anymore. I should take that off, right? The GPS. <laughs> so are you going over towards, uh, is it Nanticoke? Like are you going that far yep. over? Yep. So Nan okay. uh, yeah. uh, Nanticoke is the coal generation station there. So you would go around. It was this huge generation station. It was really neat for pictures. And then on the on the other side, there's a, a huge solar farm as well, which is still there. So you can uh, enjoy that as well, which is really neat. And then, yeah, you take that waterfront trail into Dunville, a pretty small town with an awesome breakfast diner that just I don't know, can't recommend enough. It's really cool. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like every uh, bike packer, it's like when you come up on a, a, a small diner, it's just like the most perfect thing, right? It's what your body needs. They are the per It is the perfect food. Like, you know, egg, like I remember I stopped a few times on a couple of races I've done with just like eggs, toast, bacon. Hash browns, just like plow, just plow food. It's perfect. Yeah, and then you get the coffee, and then what's you know feels like you've got a huge sense of accomplishment, like you've discovered this this awesome thing when they hand you the bill, and it's like less than ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, I've eaten all this food and this coffee for for ten bucks. Can I give you more so that way you're there next year when I do this route? But, That's awesome. So that keeps um, going. Then you start heading maybe north from there, or uh, no, it keeps going. Um, I guess to the east there, um, to, uh, yeah, anyways, to Port Colburn. Uh, it's a rail trail to Port Colburn, beautiful rail trail. Um, and then from Port, Port Colburn, you take, uh, it's really neat, the Welland Canal to St. Catharines. And the Welland Canal is the main shipping lane between the two Great Lakes. Oh, yeah. So you see these huge, monstrous um, freight liners. Like, they, like it's, it's really spectacular. And they really get motoring on there. So, and you can, there's a bunch of series of locks too. So you get to That's see cool. them raise and, and lower in elevation as you're riding along the canal. So there's a ton of things to see on this road that isn't necessarily what you would see in a normal bike backing road. Yeah, you know, for you sure. You wouldn't expect a giant freight liner going through a series of locks. But I think, again, that's what you know makes it interesting. That's what makes it stimulating for, for the riders. So. Man, it looks like you could just bust over to Niagara Falls too. Is there, is there could, yeah. an option to that to as well? Yeah, if you wanted to do some some gambling or go to the balls or anything, certainly. There's actually another great route from um, Port Colburn over to Fort Erie up to Niagara Falls to Niagara on the Lake and back down. Um, it's just it's like a I think a hundred kilometer loop, and it's also another another really good option if people wanted to extend the ride. But is that on gravel? Did that route route be on gravel? Um, Off I think it, I think uh, some is gravel. Most of it is probably paved path and. Uh, I chose not to go that way because Niagara Falls is a really busy city and the paved path would go through that yeah. city and it would be, uh, 
bananas. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it would be a little chaotic, I think. So I've only been there once. I was so young. I, I don't, I barely remember it. But, uh, uh, I bet you've changed a lot since you you were there. I bet. Yeah, just yeah, like sure. everywhere. Everywhere's crazy. Oh, that's cool. So up the canal there, and then you actually hit the, you, you go to St. Catharines, and then you start going uh, west? Yep. And you, uh, yeah, you head up through, um, this is now on the Greenbelt route. So this is road. Uh, and uh, basically, Stony, or I guess a bit before that. And then you take uh, a Lafarge Trail. Um, and it's, uh, it's a really, I can't remember, <laughs> or maybe DeFasco. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyways, it's, uh, yeah. Oh, DeFasco, DeFasco trail, but, um, yeah, it's a neat trail. It, it's got a really long boardwalk, like a couple kilometers long, uh, that's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like through forest. So it's a really neat, again, different, uh, thing to, to enjoy on the route. It looks but like there's a bit of a like a green belt that goes over towards Albion Falls. Is that right? You go through yep. there. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a really neat spot just to check out. Um, it's got a, a great view. Uh, a couple of guys posted pictures of it last year. There's a large cross that's illuminated at night. But uh, yeah, so you do that, and then you just take. Um, it's kind of all downhill from there into Hamilton and then a short jog over to Dundas to finish the route. So. Nice. So in that first, uh, that first, uh, crack at the 300, how, how many people finished? Oh, everyone finished. Awesome. Everyone finished. Uh, I made sure to, to check that because I wanted to make sure no one was left out there. Uh, yeah. but some guys did it in less than 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing seeing the, the different types of riders. So some people, didn't even bring uh, a whole lot of bikepacking bags because they were set on finishing it in less than 24 hours and others uh, plan to do it in three days. And they made uh, a very relaxed trip out of it. And it was their first bikepacking trip. That's what's so, so great about yeah. the events, man, is you get a group of people together and they're all just different. They all have different goals, you mm -hmm. know, and aspirations. And some people are just going to tear a strip off that route and some are just going to enjoy it. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. That's yeah. great. He that's why I want to have us get together either earlier this year or uh, somewhere the, the night before just to share stories. Cause yeah. we had so many people I got, when I was riding with people, I would ask them about themselves and I thought you're so interesting. Can I just ride with you the whole <laughs> way? And then, then, you know, they would be faster than my pace and they go off or they'd be slower. And then I go to the next person and yeah. I'd ask about them and it was just, so interesting hearing everyone's stories. Everyone's got a story, right? Yeah. Everybody's got a story. Cool. So you're going to do that again this year, I, I take it? Yep. You're going to run yep. it again? And uh, have you any estimates on how many you think you're going to have this year? Uh, um, I, the, the, the sign-up rate has definitely been uh, a lot faster than last year. Yeah. Um, the Facebook event helped uh, spread awareness. I'm sure this podcast, your podcast, will spread awareness. I hope so. Uh, so I, I expect definitely a bigger turnout. Double. I predict double. Uh, There's going to be twice yeah, as many. Yeah, let's go over that. Double. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, it's just a great route. And however many people show up, it's it's up all year round. And yeah. I got messages from people who've done it late in the fall and early in the spring. Like, you know, the grand parts are, are great to get to meet with people. But if that's not your thing, then you can still do the route anytime of the year. 
Yeah, I know a couple people who've who've started uh, ITTs uh, kind of before the race will start, like a day before, mm-hmm. just to kind of. I think you can really get caught up in it, especially if it's a longer, say a much longer route, you can get caught up in the beginning and, you know, maybe go too hard off the start where if there's no one around, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a different vibe, but the grand departs are so fun. How close are you to, I'm a bit of a dummy. How close are you to the BT 700 route? Oh, Oh, you're way north. Super super close. Um, Oh, it is close. Yeah. Matt, uh, actually, uh, with his GNR route, I don't know if you've heard of that route yet. Um, he made it actually connect. It shares a section of uh, the cannonball. Oh, cool! Uh, so that way, he was he was suggesting that someone could make a, uh, I guess, a thirteen hundred kilometer yeah. bike packing loop if they wanted to. Yeah, because he's pushing his up to about a thousand now, right? There's an extra loop. Yeah, so Matt's uh, Matt's rope definitely comes real close, so you can do a a big uh, a big loop. I actually haven't done the BT 700 yet. It's on my list. It's just uh, trying to find the time to to uh, take away from from work. It's not something you can hammer out in a, a long weekend. So no, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and then, are you working on something else? You have another route in the works as well. Uh, Bikepacking? Yeah, I thought you had. I thought you had something else going on. Oh no, you were involved in like a a, a winter a winter ride, weren't you? Not an ultra, but it was like a charity uh, type ride. That was um, the riding an ice road or something. Oh yeah, sorry, well, sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. My kids will be down in a minute. What's going on, Chihuahua? Psst, psst. Hey, yeah, her name's Lexi. She Lexi. Uh, barks what are you by the house, so yeah. Um, well, expect yeah, one of my so- kids to come in here any minute too. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's tough eh, when you don't have like just a an office dedicated to something like that. <laughs> Need a studio, a proper studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Make it happen. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah sorry, I'm not I'm not I came into this conversation a little ill prepared. I've been doing that a lot lately. I find it more interesting to kind of learn about the people I'm talking to than to study up too mm-hmm. much on them. But I th- I had thought you were working on another route, but maybe I was getting it mixed up with the No, no, you're right. Route. Um so there was a, a charity ride or fundraiser that I was involved in that you had brought up. Uh, it was called the Ice Road Challenge. It was uh, organized by, we have a, um, a community bike shop uh, in Hamilton called New Hope Cycle. They uh, sell used bikes, they repair uh, donated bikes, they okay. run children's uh, learning programs for, for safe cycling. Uh, they host a bunch of cycling events. It's a really cool uh, place. But so they organized this ride with the OVP um, as part of OVP's project journey. Uh, but we uh, it was a really neat uh, ride. So we we took a, a flight from Toronto to Red Lake, and then from Red Lake um, we rode our bikes. Or the plan was to ride our bikes uh, from Red Lake to Pekanjikum First Nation. And that's uh, 110 kilometers of riding, and it would be on snow-covered road and ice road. So you can't drive to Pekanjikum all year round. You can only drive there in the winter. So they organized this ride uh, to raise funds for their uh, the youth there and the, the bike program that they started in Pekanjikum. Um, and so we were going to ride this 110 kilometers to Pekanjikum. So that was the, the fundraiser, and it was a really neat idea. And I was, um, we actually just finished last weekend. So Cool. How'd it go? 
it was really good. It was really good. Uh, it was cold. <laughs> yeah. What was the temperature? Yeah, when we when we started, uh, or we were when we were going to start, it was minus thirty eight degrees Celsius. Oh my gosh, that's so cold. So they had to uh, actually hold off sending us out uh, per their emergency uh, action plan, and so we didn't actually leave till noon when it got to a balmy minus. <laughs> I think it was high high twenties or something like that. Yeah, um, and then so we we left. Uh, we they drove us up part way and we we started uh well halfway and then rode in uh from halfway uh there and then when we got there it was really neat they uh they welcomed us with uh awesome food and and a, a drum ceremony and cool we got to meet a lot of the community members and it was really a great experience um, and then the the next day we rode around for can and checked out uh their youth bicycle program they have up there so new hope uh, outfitted uh, a sea container to be a bike shop and they sent it up there a couple years ago uh, full of bikes so the kids could ride bikes and they could learn how to repair bikes and the program actually employed a couple of the community members to run the bike shop so that they could always be repairing the bikes so kids could, could ride them so we checked that out and it was in great shape and uh, a few of the opp members that rode uh, up with us we're on fat bikes and they left those fat bikes there as well so it was uh it was great and then we uh we just made up the miles we lost uh on the next that that same day the, the next morning we uh we rode back down a portion just to make the 110 kilometers so that's awesome that must be really fulfilling to be able to do something like that it was it was it was on a it was over a long weekend so or like we made a long weekend so it was really quick we, <laughs> Basically, uh, you don't realize how far Bacanicum is until you're up there. Is uh, you know, it's the same distance they said of driving from Toronto to Florida is uh, what Toronto to Bacanicum. So, oh yeah, you know, I'm just looking yeah. at the map. Ontario is crazy. I yeah, you never realize how big Ontario is. It's man. yeah, I'm like I I grew up again in Ontario, but it, when I drove out west, you know, I drove my car. Dude, it took me like two and a half days from <laughs> from basically near Ottawa. To yeah. get to get out of the province, and I was driving, I was like, "Holy crap, man! This province is massive, and the amount of water, like all the beautiful lakes, and man, there must be some really remote wilderness up there, like to ride in." Crazy. Oh, for sure. The riding in, um, you know, there's a there there's a part that is um, a municipal road that goes up. That's gravel, or that's pavement, turns into gravel, turns into really rough gravel, and then you turn onto a road that's taken care uh, and is owned by. Pekanjikum, the First Nations there, and that was just snow covered, and it was a, a very rutted, uh, rough ride in. Uh, which on the mountain bike side, I, I didn't mind that. It was nice to get away from the from the road. But wow, yeah. If you uh, if you want to get up there in the summer, you have to drive part way, and then you have to load onto a boat and take a boat in, or fly in. What's uh, what do they do up there? Like, um, is there any industry up there? Uh, there's definitely some industry. I mean, there is a brand new school, a huge school, and the school employs a lot of the com uh, employs a lot of the community members as well. Um, they have a, a large uh, store called uh, I think it's called the, the North Northern Store, and uh, the store sells everything: your gas, your spark plugs, your tires, your food, your everything you need. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely there's not. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, options for employment up, up in 
for and Pikanjigum at least. But yeah, uh, and that's up there. You know, I mean the that's really exciting about the bite program as well is it's not only it's neat to just provide bites, but uh, it's really cool that we uh, you know provided tools and the ability for them to uh, really just continue that and and learn from it and, and make it their own. So the bike shop was not the same way that they brought it up. You know, they made it their own and they learned how to repair the bikes and then, you know, they become their own little self-sufficient um, program. So we're just providing them some, some fundraising so that they can continue to grow the program and more bikes, but they're the ones that are doing all the uh, heavy lifting. They're the ones that repair the bikes and, uh, you know, share the, the stoke in the community. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, you're teaching them skills and, you know, not not only just bike repair skills, but just, you know, running a shop, like running a shop, yep. you know, being organized and, oh, that's really mm-hmm. cool. Um, so a successful, how much money do you guys raise? We, uh, we raised, last time I checked, it was $53,000. That's amazing. Holy yeah, God. it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So that, yeah. go, that goes to uh, that program specifically? For yes. That, yeah, yeah. Specifically the, the wow. youth uh, cycling program there. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. It'll turn out yeah. some racers out of that place. Oh, maybe yeah. Maybe? That'd be really cool. There's tons of uh, of uh, hills there, that's for sure. So. It'd be cool if you could uh, get a couple of those kids to come down and try their try their hand at uh, the Cannonball 300. Oh yeah, Wouldn't for sure. I should uh, I should reach out to New Hope and see if that can make that happen. Yeah, some of the New kids Hope had brought some of them uh, down, and they brought them to uh, I believe like Hardwood, uh, which is north of Toronto, to try uh, fat biking there as well. And um, yeah, definitely. Uh, Andrew Hidma is the, the director of uh, New Hope. He'd be a neat guy to have on your podcast. He's got a, a lot of experience and stories to have. Let me get my, uh, let me write that down. Yeah, I was really happy with my gear on that trip. I have never, Ontario, especially South Ontario where I am, like especially this winter in particular, we had, I think the coldest we had was minus 18. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was really hard to prepare for a trip like that. It was a lot of unknowns, so. I just packed a lot of cold weather gear and borrowed a lot of cold weather gear. And I was really happy how it turned out, but man, there's a, there's quite a few uh, question marks going into that ride. So was that the coldest you've ridden in? Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I think at that point it becomes just moisture management, you know, like just trying to stay warm and not sweat and, and freeze and die. (laughs) Yeah. Goggles from fogging and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't wear goggles. I mean, we haven't had that crazy cold of a winter here, but, uh, but you know, I've ridden in minus 30, you know, commuting to work and stuff. And I, I never mm-hmm. wore goggles, but you know, you get a bit crusty, your eyes kind of start mm-hmm. sticking together. <laughs> and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah I, I was really amazed that I blinked and the moisture between my eyelids created a little icicle that connected the two. Oh, you're looking through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thing. that's so funny. The challenges of cold weather riding. Yeah, I love riding in the cold. I think that's what's so fun about fat biking too. Is just you know generally you're in adverse conditions, kind of testing your limits. You know, I, I don't know. There I, was one I love it. One gentleman who came on the ride, uh, Adam Adam Fredrickson, I think is his name. He um, very strong rider, and he's done a lot of uh, really neat adventures as well. So again, a good guy for your podcast. But he uh, he rode up with all his bike packing gear and. Uh, he slept outside that night. Oh yeah. While we all, uh, while we all slept inside the gym uh, in Bikanjikum, he he slept outside with the the wild dogs and uh, the cold temperatures. 
Yeah, you know, I say this a lot, but there's no real bad weather. It's just it's just mm-hmm. bad gear. If he, if he has the gear for that, like a minus 40 sleeping bag, he could probably, he's probably mm-hmm. in there in his long underwear and he's just too yeah, right. warm, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Have you listened to Doug Dunlop's uh, podcast yet? The one I did with Doug last year? Uh, possibly. I, you have quite a few. It's I, a super uh, long one. It's like three, right. three hours long, but it was awesome. He's, he's I'll, I'll uh, go back and, and re-listen to it. Yeah, he makes his own gear and he sleeps outside in the winter all the time um yeah cool guy so what's your story what do you do down there where do you where, where exactly are you you're not in dundas right you're i am in dundas you yeah. are in dundas so what do you do in yeah dundas? I, uh, I let a bunch of people stay in park and sleep in my yard after before the race so it made sense yeah for sure my neighbors are wondering what the heck is going on but a tent city what's going yeah, on right. <laughs> setting up a tent city in your yard what what do you do down there to stay busy? Uh, my job. Oh yeah, just in general life. Um, well, life's pretty busy. I um, so the cannonball takes up some time. But that's all. Just you know, uh, when when I have time, I put into it. Uh, I've uh, started an, a race called the Eight Hours of Hurt in Halliburton. That's yep. taken up uh, a lot of my time, surprisingly. And then I work a a, a normal job um as well on top of that all so it uh it uh, definitely is busy and then also i'm getting married in the fall oh so yeah lots, lots of things going lots on. going on yeah. eight hours of hurt in alberta tell me about that one yeah that's in um it takes place in halberton forest uh, halberton is about two and a half hours north of toronto mm-hmm. uh, i vacation there quite a bit it's um a privately owned forest but they do um tourism uh logging it's just a really neat place where they have a lot of industry that comes out of that and um they have a series of logging roads and gravel roads that just you know i think it was something like 300 kilometers worth just a ton all in a private property like that so when i was there in this vacationing um i rode the, the gravel roads and i've done some mountain biking and i thought this would be great to have a gravel race here and gravel racing is a uh, grown in popularity and uh you know a lot of the racing that i've done and, and routes i've taken for gravel riding it uh it happens to be a lot of it in open farmland or you know just you're going through small forest lots whereas this thing is like really backcountry like you don't have any cell reception um you know there's 330 meters of climbing through the shield it's uh, uh all these little backcountry lakes that you you ride by it's a really neat road so it's a it's an eight hour ride so it's you uh, complete as many laps as you can of a 27 kilometer loop. 27 K. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, I've been kind of, um, delving into the, the world of gravel, you know, it's way more, it's way gnarlier than I thought. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I was thinking, um, what's basically tour de France on gravel, like <laughs> to, to see these guys riding, riding bikes, the, mm-hmm. the athleticism in, in these people. Like I was, I've been watching mm-hmm. a, a few videos on YouTube, the, like the Leadville or the, the dirty Kanza. You know, mm-hmm. just crazy, man. The athleticism in these guys, the the wattage, the wattage they're putting out over so many hours is just crazy to me. Well, and really, what what is, you know, th- th- those are a lot of what I think people view of gravel racing, but also gravel racing is is not so well defined as other categories mm-hmm. of cycling as well. So it really allows you to um, create fun and unique events that aren't super competitive. Um, it allows you to um, 
have neat categories and you know have mountain bikes that take place in gravel rides right like there what is a gravel bike like it's it's yeah. kind of fun like that's a it's a pretty steamy debate you know people say oh, i can my hardtail the smaller tires i can do this route well whereas another route might be totally beneficial to have drop bar 30 seat tires right like you know it all depends on what kind of terrain and where you're riding is really what you know defines what gravel what gravel bikes you want to use that's cool. Yeah, I've been thinking around here. There's a there's a loop I ride in the summer that's like a it's like a hundred k. I was saying it'd be fun to have a gravel a gravel race on that. Just you know, um, you know, that's like five. You know, maybe do it like in a twelve hour thing. See how many laps people could do of that. And that would be all gravel, like no roads at all. Yeah, yeah it'd be super Actually, fun. Some info. That sounds like it would be really neat. Well, I haven't. It's just been on the in my mind. It's because it would be mm -hmm. something you know people could come to Invermere and then we could meet at this certain point and just like a bunch yeah. of people, all the hammerheads can go off and do as many hundred k laps as they can. I don't. Maybe hundred k yeah. is too far. I don't mm -hmm. know. But because um, you're saying twenty seven k right, like uh, laps, maybe a hundred k lap would be too far. I, I'm not sure. I, I think it just depends on who comes um, and how what their experience level is. I just wanted something that. Uh, even someone who doesn't cycle very often can yeah. do, and they can just do one lap of a 27 kilometer loop and feel rewarded and uh, and be happy with their performance. Right. So I just think it depends on what uh, who you're trying to attract to. Yeah. The event. So um, you haven't run that yet, right? Like uh, this is your be your first summer doing that. No, I ran it last year. Oh, you did. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, it was in September last year, and it's September 19th this year. Nice. Man, I wish I could get out to Ontario to do some of these events. <laughs> hey, I got a spare bedroom if you need a place to stay. Yeah, I just need someone to buy me a plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> bikes are too expensive. I got to like buy bikes. Right. I don't have many money. Right. For... <laughs> you just have to ride over here, right? Mm. That's another option. If I wanted to be divorced, I think I could probably do that. Oh, man. But what do you think about um, the overlap between gravel and bikepacking? Like, I think a lot of people can scrap bikepacking gear to the gravel bike and still do multi-day adventures, right? Oh, for sure they can. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, you even see that, like I was looking at some of the bikes that uh, folks are riding in the, uh, in the Atlas and um, the Atlas mountain race. And it's like, they're, yeah, they're kind of fat gravel bikes, really, mm -hmm. you know, um, I guess it depends how much you, how much discomfort you can deal with. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know? That's a great, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I rode the, the BC Epic last year on a plus bike and people were riding like skinny bikes, like basically gravel bikes or, you know, skinny tired bikes. And mm -hmm. there's no good, one good bike for everything. So when it got super yeah. chundery, I'd pass all the skinny guys. And then when it got kind of fast and rolly, they'd pass me. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's like there is no perfect bike. So I, I think those guys probably suffered a lot more than I did. Right. You know, I had way more comfort, but, um, yeah, of course well, you can. It's, it's an, it's an endurance event, right? So the yeah. way as, as comfortable as you're going to be is how successful you're going to be. Yeah. I guess the difference in gravel though, is it seems like there's, um, there's pit stops, right? Like you can, uh, there's places along the route where you are either per lap or you stop and you can, uh, you know, resupply so you can go. So there's a bit yeah. more organization yeah. and logistics involved in it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Sure. I think I'd like to run one just with no, like, just go and let's start the clock. And there's no, you just have to bring all your own stuff. You have to get all your own water, bring mm -hmm. all your own food, yeah. or you can stash, yeah. you can stash a little box at the, at the, uh, at the start point or something. I don't know. I have no idea. It'd be fun to, to organize something though. 
Mm-hmm. Well, oh. let me know if you want, you want to help. I can definitely okay. uh, share some some uh, of my learnings. I learned from just myself and listening to podcasts. So yeah, I, uh, didn't really have a mentor or anything. Yeah, just like you said, right? Just put it out there and say, I'll meet you there. <laughs> Let's go ride bikes. <laughs> I've got this stopwatch. Okay, go. <laughs> yeah. Do you run um th- there's no trackers on a on a gravel race, right? Like no one's carrying spots or anything, or do people carry spots? Um no. I mean even on the cannonball, um, I didn't mandate that or suggest that because one of my big things is I don't want to have too many barriers to entry for people to enjoy this kind of sport and spot trackers and their, their memberships are quite expensive. Mm. So, uh, and within cannonball, um, you're, you're within a cell phone reach of anything. So there's not a lot of risk. I mean, the eight hours of hurt in Alberta, you don't have any cell reception, but we do have a lot of aid stations and I made sure that we were making that race safe because of the fact that people couldn't use the cell phone. Yeah. Um, so spot trackers would have a place maybe in that race, but I think it just, again, it'd just be another barrier to entry to someone to enjoy an event and, and do cycling. Right? And do you run a sweep? Uh, well, cause it's multiple laps. People, racers are their own sweeps. Sweeping, uh, yeah. yeah. And then at the very last lap, all the aid stations as the last rider goes by them, they'll pack up their gear and then they'll follow the race and their vehicles. So it's a sweep that way. Right. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, I may have to talk to you about that. It sounds like fun. Those roads, are they uh, publicly accessible? Are there vehicles on those roads? There is some vehicles, but it's all just um, people who paid to be in the park for camping or they have a trail, seasonal trailer or something. It's it's very low traffic because it's a private park. Right. It's all gate entrance. Ah, right. Yeah. See, that would be my worry with the route I have in mind. It would be open to public. There'd be a lot of uh, trucks pulling trailers and no logging per se, but. Uh, at least half that route would be there would be traffic could be traffic on it yeah interesting i'll have to think about that mm-hmm. yeah so um what are your plans what are you doing uh are you going to do any you're too busy organizing to do any of these events sounds like well that's the thing right like i get really excited about events that i'm putting on because they're events that i want to do but then i don't end up doing them because i'm putting them on it's kind of funny how it works but uh i did do the cannonball 300 i, I felt okay doing that but uh eight hours were hurt in Halliburton. and if i uh if I was on course and someone got hurt and they were looking for the race director, that would not look very good. If I was, uh, you know, oh, he'll be there and he's, he's at halfway around, he'll be back around in 45 minutes. Like that's not a good answer. So, right. But, um, yeah, so this year, um, with the, the planning and the wedding, I'm just going to focus on local stuff. So I'm going to do Matt's GNR route. I might do part of his BT 700, uh, do the cannonball this year. I do a bunch of just, mountain bike racing in general so i there's a 24-hour mountain bike race that uh happens in uh in june so i'm going to do that um this year again um and then just a bunch of other smaller uh you know really fun races as well nice and then i also am an ambassador for a local bike shop as well so i do rides uh for their shop rides and everything as well like it's it's basically all hands on deck bikes uh in summer here so that's awesome um, and do you single speed mostly? You mentioned that a couple of times. I, I have a, yeah, a truck stash that I have single speed belt drive. Oh, nice. It's got um, elevated chainstays so I can run a belt. And I really like that bike. It's it's super quiet. And I, it's the bike I joke that I do no maintenance on. So uh, if I just want to go for a ride, just grab that bike. If I'm you know doing some racing and stuff, I might race in single speed, but I do have some geared bikes I use as well. But that just requires a little bit more uh, prep and maintenance. So. Yeah. 
no, that's cool. I love single speeding. I've always always thought it's a great uh, it's a great training platform because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the effort's so high. Like you you go ride your normal oh, yeah. trail with gears and then go ride, yeah. you know, yeah. fairly steep ratio, and that's all your strength training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Even though I find that um, you lose some ability to sit down and spin when you're running a a, a single speed often, but yeah, and I yeah. think that's where that workout comes from because yeah. yeah. like you have to stand so mm-hmm. much and then mm-hmm. i found that when when i went ride my bike packing bike fully loaded even with gears i tend to ride higher a higher gear and stand mm-hmm. just to yeah. just to give your ass a break and you're, yeah. you're in yeah. you have that standing fitness already so you can just stand for whatever like 20 minutes <laughs> I mean, just kind of grind it out just kind of do, 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 yeah. stand up it's like walking so up you stand. don't use a uh, single speed for bike packing though right sorry what was your question do you use single speed for bike packing? That's something I've tried, but it's, it makes it a lot harder. I've put this out a couple times. I think I'm trying to almost manifest it, but uh, I've signed up for the BC Epic again. And um, I've been tr- really trying to think of what bike I want to ride. Like I thought mm-hmm. I have my mucklock here. I thought about putting yeah. 29 plus on that and maybe racing that. Oh, okay. But then I also have a Chromeg Surface 29er, like mm-hmm. the first generation one, like a steel bike. That's my single speed bike. And yeah. I've... Uh, I've loaded it up a couple times and t- like I've done a hundred K that hundred K loop I was talking about on it. And um, I just, I wonder for me with my knees, if it's a good long, long, uh, a long game strategy, whether I can actually yeah. push a single speed for a thousand kilometers, but mm-hmm. more and more, especially the, the BC Epic, it's a lot of rail grade. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the climbs aren't crazy. They're not bananas yeah. climbs yeah. and really, yeah. You spend a lot of time in third gear anyway, walking, right? Like if it's too steep, just get off. Like what's the point? Yeah. So I'm really, I'm starting to really lean. I was going to put some um, uh, recon race uh, 29ers on there and, and uh, you know, get rid of the dropper and put my Jones bar on. And Mm -hmm. I'm leaning more and more towards doing it. The Alberta Rockies, if I, uh, hopefully I get a chance to do that. I think I would ride that with gears. But I don't know. I don't know. I've yeah, been, I, I, I really had an eye on the BC Epic uh, 1000. It looked like a really good uh, multi multi day route like that. Where beautiful, um, you know. I, so anyway, I signed actually up for it to do last year, and then I broke my hand. And should I do it? Should I not do it? Like a, a buddy was going to set me up with like a grip shifter, so I didn't have to uh, use my thumb to yeah, shift. Fair <laughs> enough. But uh, I feel like that was to fly from Ontario to BC to do that would be a lot of of unknowns with a broken hand yeah yeah that was probably a good call um i know someone in the first leg the first day i met a, a woman I, I forget her name but she had fallen and i think she ended up breaking her wrist and she had ridden to uh i was talking to her in in penticton i think and uh i think she, she said she was scratching then she couldn't do it yeah hmm. i don't think she was sure if she broke it or not but she knew it was in rough shape Right, but something like your hand, like if you hurt one of your interfaces, like your hands, or your mm-hmm. feet, or your your ass, then it's it can really yeah. set you back, right? And that's a long ride, right? So that's a lot of vibrations to go through those parts. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing too is like I'd kind of really like to to ride fully rigid just to save a little bit of weight, right? And then to yeah. give some to give some uh, better mounting options, kind of up front. Mm-hmm. Rather, I use these SKS bottle cage mounts that kind of slip around a little bit sometimes, which is a bit unnerving when it's on your front wheel, but, um, fully rigid, but I can't f- seem to find a fork 
for the front of that bike because the axle to crown distance is it's like 535 or 540 millimeters because it's built around a like 100 it's 130 mil 140 mil fork i can't remember but that distance is so great I, I reached out to like naked bikes on quadra island and it's like oh could you make me a like a 29 or fully rigid fork with these specs and he's like ah uh, no i'm not going to do it because it's it, it's such a long fork, he thought. Yeah. He thought it just wouldn't yeah. be strong enough. But I seem to see them out there. These long, rigid forks, like a twenty-nine plus fork. That's that's so long, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to mm-hmm. be. I got to be able to find a rigid fork for that thing. So if anyone knows or wants to build me a fork, <laughs> send it yeah, to me. I'll right. run it. Listeners wants to build me a fork. Yeah, yeah. And that was the other thing. It's like, oh, and I, I started thinking yesterday. Um, I reached out to Tyson at Rebound Cycle because I'm I'm an ambassador for them. It's like I just like brain dumped onto him. It's like here's what I'm thinking. Like should I sell my mucklock and buy like a a cutthroat or a Fargo? Like really dive into that that mm-hmm. bike packing bike, right. two inch tires. Like I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have any money, right? So, so just trying to make Trek, it work. Trek makes a, a stash called 1120, which is their bike packing. Uh, I guess Trek stash. It has a 29 plus fork that has um, an integrated front rack. So that might be something to look into. Oh, like the rack they have on the, I don't know all the models, but the like the orange painted kind yeah, of alloy racking. Right. Yeah, those yeah. are pretty, um, my friend Katrina and Mike, they toured Europe with, I think, uh, at least one of those bikes. I thought they did. Oh, maybe I'm talking out of my ass. I can't remember. But um, yeah, I've seen they're nice because they're tight. Mm-hmm. Like you need to have a tight kit, and I think that yep. would be you know, a really good way to do that, especially the back rack. Well, and it keeps it away from your your cables. I have a front roll mm-hmm. that I use, and it just crushes the cables, and they rub against your frame, and it's whatever it is, what it is. But it's it's not definitely the optimal setup. So. No, I ended up making um, just buying a hydraulic cable and and uh, the the connections, and just just made my own long ones to oh, okay. to, to go around it. You know, oh, okay. like I put my, yeah. uh, I run a, a porcelain rocket MCA harness and then put the dry bag in there and then kind of ran the cables around it. And what do you do when you're not bike packing? Does that be cables like <laughs> <laughs> getting caught in the branches? You know, it's funny actually. Um, with the, with the Jones bar, it, they almost have to be long anyway because the the way the uh, the levers approach yeah. the, the 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 alignment, it just has yeah. to be the way you know. Otherwise, they're kind of kinked weird. But uh, sometimes what I'll do is I'll, if I put a flat bar on, that's when it looks ridiculous. It looks all long, but, but I can pull the, uh, at the back, just, just by the seat tube, you can just kind of pull the cables back a little bit and then you have little loops behind your seat tube (laughs) and then I kind of zap tie it just to save the, save me. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I have a Jones bar as well that I set my, my brake uh, hoses long for. And then I, I didn't really like it. So I moved back to, to flat bar and. Yeah, everyone's giving me a hard time. I'm like, hey, I might want to go back to Jones. Like, give me a break. So oh, there right. we go. We both have the same problem. Yeah, so. just tug them back. What didn't you like about the Jones bar? Um, I just wasn't doing enough bike packing on the bar. And mm. for everyday use, I was finding that um, it was not the most technical feeling. Mm. I just didn't feel that comfortable bombing through some local trails on, on the sweet back like that. So Yeah, I feel the same way. I think for... Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, it's so, it's such a great bar. But for me, same thing for technical riding, it just, yeah. that hand position, that kind of forward yeah, not, didn't yeah. feel right. I mean, the one, the one advantage I, I liked about it is when you get right on the ends and say you don't have a dropper and you go over yeah. something, you have so much leverage to push the bike yeah. way, way out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really nice. 
and my elbows love the love the jones bar just that sweep oh, yeah. a 45 degree yeah. sweep so nice for your elbows yeah um but yeah same i feel the same way on a uh, when it gets technical a flat bar is a little bit better but um i don't know that's so personal right there's so many mm-hmm. different ways to set your bike up you just need to have a specific bike packing bike i think that's what we've just determined here is we just need it. well yeah but it, it's it should be accessible you know you should be able to ride whatever bike you want really yeah. right and then go from there and start you know what i did for the last elephant this summer and i've mentioned this a couple of times as i went and i bought a uh, a steer tube extender so i'll pop that oh, onto okay. my steer tube yeah. jack the front end up and that could, yeah. that changed my life it completely changed my life it's it's weird and it kind of looks a bit i don't know it's kind of like something that old guys do right <laughs> in a way no, no offense no offense to the old guys i'm an old guy we're getting there anyway but I find that as soon as I did that, my neck felt better. My hands didn't go to sleep. Um, um, well, I can you, understand that for sure. Yeah. And then with the Jones bar, you know, with it jacked up, it felt like a townie. So like when you're, when you're riding flats and you're at the tips, your back is straight and you're just like, oh, you're looking around. And it's, it, it just, it just changed my bikepacking experience. I think that's so important to be just, just for comfort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is so important. You, you know, you're, your mental state is half the battle on these long bikepacking rides. And if you're not comfortable, then at least for me, you start obsessing over small things like a, a body pain or yeah. uh, some poor bike fit. And you, you want to, you know, enjoy these kind of things you do. So if you can eliminate all those, those concerns, you have a lot better time. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, what else you got going on? Um, I don't know, not too much. Definitely trying to train as much as I can for some of these longer rides that I got going on this summer. Um, there's not a lot of snow here, so uh, it's kind of this like slushy mess. So it's hard to get outside and, and ride. Oh, um, yeah. You know, you can drive a little farther up north and get some some good mountain bike trails in. Uh, or I just sit and catch up on all of my Netflix on my side, <laughs> unfortunately. So. You, you haven't joined the generation of... Uh indoor cyclists indoor racers like the whole Zwift I thing done, and... i haven't done the Zwift thing I, nothing really against Zwift. i have no real reason other than just just some some costs associated that, that i haven't quite uh accepted yet i mean maybe it's, it's slowly wearing at me but uh, uh maybe maybe this new mountain bike thing they have with Zwift now maybe that's what will get me into it but... i don't really follow it too much so they have an off-road thing now yeah they have this thing now where you instead of being a road cyclist on the the screen you can be a mountain biker and you yeah. can actually steer and go around things um, i think it's a pretty short loop and that they have it's just like a i don't know if it's still in trial or not but who knows maybe that's what will get me going on on swift but right now it's just uh some very simple structured workouts with uh whatever that i can get uh my fiance to put up with watching on netflix together so. <laughs> i've checked out those peloton bikes Oh, okay. Those are crazy, man. I think they're like some like two or three thousand dollars US. Yeah, I they're, think they're they're really expensive, and then uh, I think you have to pay for the online subscription uh, workouts or subscription as well. So the whole subscription model for things is crazy. I find like everything's that way now. You know? Yeah. Well, everything so, like you know we don't have music anymore. Like yeah. you subscribe to um whatever Spotify or Apple Music, mm-hmm. and then spot you know spots a subscription your phone's a subscription disney plus is a subscription now so yeah it's yeah. it's crazy your podcast could be a subscription well i hope more people subscribe 
Uh, you know, yeah. I put a thing out. Uh, you know, I was a bit too uh, too ambitious, but I was like, I want to get a hundred ratings. If I get a hundred ratings, I'm gonna get a tattoo of the bike pack Kano logo on my body somewhere. Oh, perfect! But, Do the, the subscribers get to pick where? Uh, I wasn't really the plan, but <laughs> I suppose they can if they want. I want to be able to enjoy it. I don't want it to be on my yeah. my ass cheek or something where I can't look at it. Yeah. Either that or a brand. I thought having a brand would be fun. Are you a tattoo oh, guy? Okay. Uh, no, I I know we've talked about it, but yeah, nothing, nothing has struck me as important to to do that yet. But. The uh, the um, Crested Butte Fat Bike Worlds. I think if you win that, you get a brand. Oh, they'll brand you. I don't know if I want to win that. Check that out on YouTube. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of would. Pain wouldn't last that long. I think it would just no, be a quick no. sear. Then you'd have yeah. this brand on your ass. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, man. That's that's what I love about these these like gravel rides and these you know quote unquote world championships of single speeding and stuff. It's just a bunch of like minded people getting together and mm-hmm. riding well, I think bikes. The key is to, uh, to try and not take it too seriously and have yeah. a lot of fun. I think a lot of people get caught up in, in uh, being super competitive, and I definitely am victim to this. But then at the end of the day, we're not racing for money or anything. No. So what's uh, what are you what are you uh, stressing yourself out about? Yeah, I, I never thought uh, that a, a bike packing journey could be as enjoyable as they can be because you are out there a really long time. Like you're riding, mm-hmm. you know, eighteen to even twenty four or longer hours a day, and there's those ups and downs. But for the most part, you know, when you when you lay down at the end of the end of your day and you think about how far you've gone and what you've seen oh, along yeah. the way. Yeah. And then even some of the internal mental work you get to do on yourself while you're out there. Oh, I totally agree. I yeah. Can, you know, you, you work out a lot of things when you're by yourself for extended periods of time like that. So You sure do. And um, yeah, you tend to just to realize like how much gratitude you should have for just even the opportunity to be out there and, and riding yep. and safely riding through the Canada, which is just an amazing country. We're, we're well, I find you, you come back to life refreshed too. So, you yeah. know, if there are things that you were not enjoying, you, you definitely have more patience for, and you, uh, it definitely, uh, is a, a good mental, uh, repair to go do a long trip like that. Yeah. What does your fiance think about all these things you're doing? Uh, I got her into cycling, so Good. she now at least can uh, relate to some of this stuff. Um, we do a lot of short rides together, and she is also uh, the uh, for the bike store locally is uh, for free will is uh, an ambassador as well for cool. their, their women's rides. So, um, you know, she really enjoys the sport. I haven't uh, got her convinced on bike packing yet for those super long hauls. She, I think, she struggles uh, to understand why I want to ride for so long mm-hmm. <laughs> on, on some some rot, uh, roads like that but yeah it, it really helps to have a partner that uh that gets it so when i need to buy a bike thing or, <laughs> or something she uh she definitely uh supports all those decisions that's awesome um yeah not to keep plugging the podcast but she should listen to a couple of the the lovely ladies that i've talked to mm-hmm. like nat rainbow or yeah. uh, janie hayes or uh, tara weir yeah. to get inspired oh. because those women are just badass yeah she'll, she'll listen to this episode so uh there well then she'll hear me say this hooks, right yeah. so. what's her name uh heather hardy heather go listen to janie hayes and get inspired to ride long distances and then you can be with your man all the time that's right that's right well we're trying to get a i'm trying to get her to uh this is maybe where our 
our appreciation for bikes separates, but I'm trying to get her to uh, let me buy a tandem bike. So we can oh, go do Heather. Together. But I, uh, I haven't been able to make that connection yet. So um, I rode with uh, a couple summits, summits ago with um, Josh and Val Cato, and they came down to the summit in Canmore or up, I guess, from Washington, Cashmere, Washington, and they brought their tandem and they went on the overnighter oh, on their tandem. Yeah. And they were riding stuff. I was like, what are you two doing riding this trail? <laughs> like, really? Well, Josh, you know, they're both super skilled cyclists, mm -hmm. right? But to put two super skilled cyclists on a tandem and do some of the technical stuff they were doing was super impressive and fast. Holy crap. They were so I fast. And the, the stoker doesn't really get to see much. The dude in the back doesn't get to see much. To, you have a lot of trust in the, the person up front to do a lot of technical stuff. Like well, I think it's not only that, but, um, and I, I have some friends in town here, um, my friends Jordy and, and Beva Kirk, and, and they've done, uh, they started the Smoke and Fire 500. I think that's the 500. And um, I think they ended up scratching because of some uh, undercarriage issues, but they did that on a tandem. Oh, and okay. uh, I think what it is too is a ton of communication. Like you need mm -hmm. to communicate to one, even when you shift, it's like shift, you know, you have to let that person know. So you're unloading at the same time and your body English is coordinated. And I think it's a really, I think it's really cool, man. Yeah. Heather, get a tandem. Super fun. And you can get, I, I wouldn't be surprised. My gut just tells me that uh, I think tandem riding, especially for gravel and bikepacking is going to become more of a thing. I don't know. Maybe oh, it's just, uh, maybe it's just cause I want it to be a thing, but. I, yeah. And you can do those gravel races together too, right? Yeah, yeah, and you could you could go to a um, like you go to thief bikepacking or who else do you have out there making bags? You could you could get a bunch of bags made for that bike, right? So oh, then they can go on camping trips together. Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, super fun. I'm gonna try to convince my wife to get a tandem. We need two tandems. The kids can ride one. <laughs> yeah, see a daisy chain of trail behinds. Right? That's right. Yeah, wonder <laughs> how many you could put behind there before it just become impossible. I had a coworker that had a tandem um, with a chariot to the back. Yeah. So have that. That's awesome. Or you could do, um, get a cargo bike. Oh, okay, that's right. Put a lawn chair up front. She could sit up front. You could just pedal her around like a rickshaw. Yeah. <laughs> She'd have to wear a bug net though over her face just to keep the bugs oh, out of her teeth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, Heather, get a tandem. That'd be a blast. Yeah, and you can get pretty high in tandems too, I think. Mm -hmm. That aren't super heavy and. Does the bike shop this hope do tandems? Uh, New Hope. Uh, New Hope. Sorry, it, it's all just um, uh, community donations. They're also a Marin dealer as well. I oh, okay. Marin making um, a tandem bike, but uh, yeah, we, I mean, there's a couple of custom frame builders in Ontario oh, that would right. probably do something like that. Or, I mean, I know Commotion has some more off-road capable. Um, tandems i mean there was also the salsa powder keg i don't know if you can still get that or not i see a lot of guys mountain biking on that and doing gravel riding on the, the salsa powder keg so yeah that'd be super fun should do that where are you riding today where are you going today um there's a local trail called the uh, christie's it's just a conservation area that our local uh mountain bike uh club has uh built and put together so it's i think 13 14k that uh oh, nice. I'll do, or uh, you can just drive a little bit farther. And there's a, a trail, a couple trail systems, uh, Agreement Forest and uh, Kelso as well. They're really good riding opportunities in the winter. So um, lots of options. So just uh, whatever I have 
the energy to do and have time to do uh, putting uh, housework and all other stuff aside. So, yeah. Yeah. It's endless, man. It's like, it it's all yeah. balance. It's almost yeah. like, yeah, it's all balance. You can tell when things get out of balance when you start getting grumpy, right? It's like sure. too much housework, together. not enough riding. Yeah. <laughs> or too much riding, and then you come home too tired to do the housework. The housework. Uh -oh, that's when you get in trouble. Yeah. yeah. Your dog's ticked off at you. Because I don't imagine you can take your chihuahua. What's her name? Kelsey? I, sorry, I can't remember. Uh, Lexi, Lexi. Yeah. She. Yeah, she Definitely can't keep on the bike. We do lots of hiking with her, but I've actually put her in a backpack and gone rides with her. Oh, yeah. So she, yeah. She just really likes to be with us. So as long as she's with us, she's happy. I don't think uh, she could keep up on a bike, though. It's a little bit of a torture to make a chihuahua. Oh, for sure. Uh, keep we, up with the sound bike. She do what Josh Cato does and puts a basket on his. On a basket, his, yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah. a, he's got a, I think it actually, is it a shopping basket? Like a blue, like one of those blue shopping baskets? Maybe not. But yeah, he takes his, uh, Winston, I think is his dog's name. I, I don't know what kind of dog oh, it is. Little tiny dog. But yeah. He goes on these big yeah. training rides. He just puts, I, I, I think I, I coined the hashtag poodle packing. So he goes poodle packing, <laughs> <laughs> puts his little dog in the front and yeah, he'll go off into the mountains on his fat bike with his dog. And yeah, that's man. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to do some, uh, hashtag, uh, chihuahua camping chihuahua with, camping. uh, Lexi. Yeah. That's right. Be a little tent, little Z-Pax tent for her. Be yeah. perfect. I thought about getting one of those uh, Burley trailers and just putting her in the back. Yeah. But... Yeah, it's good training, yeah. towing around a bunch of weight. Mm -hmm. Well, there's some guys who bike pack with those those trailers. Oh, for I feel sure. Like that'd be a lot of work, but uh, I even saw some people on the BC Epic 1000 doing it with the trailer. Yeah, I think it'd be. I think be, the the Epic would would be all right. It's not too crazy and narrow, but depending on the route. Mm -hmm. I think you're better off just to, that's a lot of extra weight to tow around. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I guess it depends how long you're going to be out there for, but, um, yeah, you're not bringing everything. You're not bringing your kitchen sink. So yeah, I guess it depends how much you want to bring like mm -hmm. your, your pets. Mm -hmm. If you want to bring your pets, you need a trailer. <laughs> well, I have a small pet, so maybe I don't need a trailer. Yeah. So before we wrap up here, so let's just do a review. When's, uh, do, do the dates of the, uh, cannonball 300. And sure. uh, the Cannonball 300 is uh, August 22nd. The Grand Depart will take place at eight in the morning. Uh, definitely come earlier so we can get a chance to meet or uh, follow on Facebook or social media. So that way uh, I can send some email updates closer to the event so we can plan maybe a, a get together before or uh, even just place it to park too. That's a bit of a, a debacle last year. So let's get in touch and uh, find how we can get everyone out in Cannonball 300. And best place to reach you would be Facebook or? Uh, yeah, there's a Facebook event. Uh, it's uh, at Cannonball 300 route is the Facebook page and the Instagram. So uh, I haven't been as active on Instagram, but uh, if you message me, I'll, I'll get back to you right away. So. Awesome. And then uh, what about the uh, Hurt and Halliburton? Hurt and Halliburton is September 19th. Um, you can register. Registration is open. Um, you just go to the website for that is uh, valueworks.ca. Or uh, the handles for uh, Instagram and Facebook are uh, at eight hours of Hurtin. Hurtin is spelled H-U-R-T-I-N. So definitely check uh, that out too. There's some really neat stuff. I've kept Instagram up to date on that with some some great photos of the the route. If you want to get some some gravel inspiration. Yeah, and just um, what do you want to say to encourage people to come out? Uh, definitely, just don't get caught up on the cost. The you know bike packing. Uh, everyone likes to talk about gear and the gear can be very expensive, but I think 
people need to just try, try bike packing, strap what you have on your bike, uh, a bunch of dry bags or, I mean, not recommended, but even a big day pack or multi-day pack on your back and just go, go for it, try it. And then uh, see if it's something you want to do. I think people can spend way too much time sitting on a computer and scrolling through gear and, uh, and just not actually go out there and uh, try the thing that we really have grown to love and what Steve, you're building community around. I, I just think people need to go out and, and experience it for themselves. Yeah. I'd say the same thing. And I think too, on some of these routes, you, you know, you're, you're, you're always going to be surrounded. There's always people around, like, mm-hmm. especially it sounds like the cannonball 300 is pretty accessible and, and uh, lots of resupply and uh, still you're in, you're in some, some semblance of a populace where, you know, if you got yeah. into trouble, yep. someone's going to help you. So I think, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. Don't yeah, get over your fears and get out there and try it. Right. That's all you mm-hmm. can do. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want right. to plug? Uh, no, I, I like I've done a lot of plugging. So no, it's good. That's what this too, is for. Too carried away. I really appreciate you having me on, Steve. Uh, oh, I awesome. know we've been trying a while to get on here, and uh, I really enjoy what you've done with the podcast. And, thanks. Uh, I'll continue to be a, a follower and a subscriber. Awesome. Thanks. Um, we'll we'll uh, get together in the summer once uh, once some of these uh, these events finish up, and we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk more about attendance and stories, and yeah, we'll yeah. hear more about it. Well. Mark, thanks for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries, man. And uh, we'll chat soon, okay? Will do. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mark Sinclair of Dundas, Ontario. For those of you in the East, um, I love talking to you guys. It's it's pretty awesome. Uh, when I was doing the Bike Pack Canada podcast, it was so fun reaching out to, to all of you guys and girls kind of throughout uh, Canada just to hear what everybody's up to and the adventures you're going on and it's uh it's a great sport brings us all together and uh it's always a pleasure talking to all of you so i really appreciate everybody's time for listening and for talking to me i really appreciate it so thank you Uh, again thanks for tuning in hope you enjoyed it if you want to reach out to me with uh feedback guest suggestions or voice intros send me some voice intros i'll put them at the start of the show i want to hear what you guys are up to email me at myback40podcast at gmail.com I love hearing from you. Um, what else do I have to say? Oh, yeah, I want to thank Cycling 101 again for uh, their support. And don't forget that promo code 101VIP20. That's going to get you 20% off a bike fit or a consultation. So make sure you reach out to them. Um, super knowledgeable crew of people there. So I would highly encourage you to reach out. Um, I'm going to have Ryan Draper on again. We're going to probably have a discussion about something sometime soon. Can't wait to talk to him. And I also want to thank Rebound Cycle. Uh, I'm an ambassador for Rebound Cycle in Canmore, Alberta. I'm very proud to be an ambassador for them. They're a fantastic bike shop. I just learned today that because of the virus outbreak, they have closed their doors. However, um, if you need something, if something's urgent, you can reach out to them. Uh, They will uh, come to get your bike, to fix your bike, it sounds like, which is pretty fucking awesome, right? I mean, uh, that's the thing about what's going on right now is... is, uh, you walk through your town and you look at all the closed doors and it makes me wonder how these people are going to be able to pay their their leases and you know pay the creditors for the inventory and it's just it's a big deal man um but i think uh, these small communities are really sticking together and really helping each other out so that's awesome so thank you rebound cycle for doing everything that you do i'm proud to be an ambassador for you and uh i look forward to seeing you i hope everyone's staying healthy 
uh, at their homes of uh, wherever they're from and hope they're staying at home and playing in their local neighborhoods, um, keeping your distance. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's all I want to say. So you guys, I love you. Thanks for listening in. Uh, make sure you subscribe, share, rate, and review. Uh, it would really help me out. And it'll help me grow this podcast and reach more people. And I hope you're digging the content. I know I've kind of been mixing it up a little bit, a little bit of biking, a little bit of this and that. Um, Again, I'm exploring my curiosities and I want to take you guys along for the ride. I do have a really interesting conversation coming up with Vince Hemsall. And uh, he is the managing editor of Kootenai Mountain Culture Magazine. And we had a fantastic conversation about a journey he took last year actually but uh it's still relevant in today's times. so stay tuned make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and until next week keep the rubber side down